As you may have observed already from the hymns and the readings and the, even the cover of the bulletin, this is Trinity Sunday, which is observed every year on the Sunday after Pentecost. Every year, I guess that means it's considered something fairly important. But it's not a celebration of a special event, an occurrence, like most of the other big holy hoopla days in the church calendar like Easter or Christmas. You won't find the word Trinity anywhere in Scripture. Trinity Sunday is actually about a church doctrine that was struggled over and hammered out by church patriarchs over hundreds of years. Sounds like kind of a yawner, doesn't it? On the face of it, not the most personal or deeply compelling sort of topic. One God, three expressions, so what? Who cares? Theologian Karl Rahner wrote that if the church quietly decided one day to abandon the doctrine of the Trinity, most Christians would never notice. It doesn't affect their faith or their life in any meaningful way. And the Trinity is something that we have trouble fully understanding. Today's gospel from John is not really very helpful in that regard. Jesus says, I've got to go, but the, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, and all that the Father has is mine. So who are all these people? If they're all one, how is it that they come and go at different times? You go. No, you go. I was just there. It's your turn. You go. How can one plus one plus one equal one? I don't want to talk about God as bad math. Um, the Trinity is a mystery. And what I discovered in preparing this sermon is that a mystery isn't something that we can't understand, but something that we can understand in endless ways, which is a real relief for me. And if we stop trying to understand the Trinity for the sake of proving its theological validity, but instead see it as a template for how we're called to be in the world, then I think the Trinity can actually be compelling and deeply personal. And I have to give a shout out to my dear friends, Daryl Cousineau and Joan Fothergill, for having led me in this direction so that you're not hearing today about, well, it's water and it's also ice and it's also steam, but it's all one... No, I'm not going there. But before I say more about the Trinity, I want to make a comment about pronouns. We have only our finite human language to talk about infinite things. So all of our references to God will necessarily fall pretty short. But I think that the idea of the Trinity supports using the pronoun they when referring to God. I first saw this about six months ago, and it just clicked for me. 
as a pronoun that functions in both the plural and the singular. They is a way of referring to a God who is both three and one. Also using the gender neutral they instead of he for God or that bird counters centuries of labeling God in largely masculine terms and expands our image of the divine beyond our current comfortable notion. So I think it takes a bit of getting used to, but I think it makes sense. And so that's what you will hear. Jesuit priest and homeboy industries founder Greg Boyle has described our calling as Christ followers in this way. To be in the world who God is. Our vocation is to imitate the kind of God that we believe in. So how do we imitate a trinity? The most important thing that I can say about the trinity is that it means that God is, at their essence, a community. In his book, The Divine Dance, Franciscan priest and teacher Richard Rohr describes the trinity as a community of three persons, endlessly giving and receiving love in a relationship that we have been both created out of and invited into. It's pretty clear if you think about it that God is always oriented to community. What does God do at the beginning of creation? Design one amazing super creature? No. They fashion a diverse community, birds and fish and gross crawly things and adorable baby pandas and people. In the Genesis account, God doesn't say, let me make mankind in my own image, because who would they have been talking to? But let us make humankind in our own image, according to our likeness. If God created us in their image, then that means crafting a community. What does Jesus do at the beginning of their ministry? Gather disciples, create a community, and then make that community broader and wider and more inclusive until the religious authorities that are charged with guarding the boundaries cry, enough! And they kill him. What does the Spirit do on Pentecost? We heard it last Sunday. Infect a crowd with a sense of community. People from all over the Mediterranean world hear, understand, and embrace the same good news regardless of their differences. The Spirit doesn't head for the temple. They go out into the streets on a busy holiday. Think Mardi Gras or a pride parade. The concept of the Trinity says that God's true nature is as relationship. The first words of John's Gospel, as you may well know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we recognize the Gospel writer to be referring to Jesus. But to understand the Trinity, 
the fullness of God, I think it's useful to adapt that verse and say, in the beginning was the relationship, and the relationship was with God, and the relationship was God. So if God in the Trinity is a community endlessly giving and receiving ridiculous, inexplicable love, and our task is to imitate that God, then we, not you, but we, are fundamentally called to be in loving relationship with one another. To remember, as Mother Teresa has said, that we belong to each other. That doesn't mean reaching out in order to correct people who are mistaken or to rescue people who are in need. It means recognizing that we're all mistaken and that we all need humility, help, and healing. It means that we're all related, even when the family resemblance isn't obvious at first. It means embracing what Greg Boyle calls our exquisite mutuality by receiving, listening to, and valuing people until they come out with their hands up, feeling perhaps for the first time valuable. Ask Roberta Durham what idea is at the heart of the Open Table program. It's their tagline. Relationship transforms communities. I'll also mention for your consideration a book that I just started reading last night, once this sermon was finally done. God has such amazing timing. It just came out in March. It's got a catchy title. It's called Love Your Enemies. It's by the head of the conservative American Enterprise Institute, Arthur C. Brooks. And it's about overcoming our current culture of contempt for those who seem so very different from us. Not by agreeing, not by tolerating, but by loving and finding kinship and common ground. I'm really, really hoping that it's a how-to book. Richard Rohr contends that there is nothing as important as this sense of loving relationship and community and connection, because underlying all of our worst problems, whether they're political or socioeconomic or environmental or even interpersonal, is a profound sense of disconnection from God, even from ourselves, certainly from each other and from creation. Sin, he says, is always a refusal of mutuality and a withdrawal into separateness. If we're all made in God's image, then all we have to do is open our eyes to know that God is exponentially more diverse than we can imagine. God clearly loves variety, both in the created world and in themselves. The Trinity is the model for us of unity in diversity. 
As we heard in today's gospel, those three people are pretty distinct and pretty different, and yet they're one. It's an example we're called to follow, to be one, even with our differences. To draw the circle ever wider so that no one is left outside it. Even the people we can't stand. Not to seek uniformity, but unity and loving connection. Because division is the opposite of God. One final observation I'll make about the Trinity. There are, you may not know, over 500 parishes in the Episcopal Church named Trinity, making it one of the absolute favorite names for our faith communities. This particular Trinity, which we create, describes itself as progressive, inclusive, and creative. When I hear the word progressive, I think about forward motion and the spirit pushing us in directions we don't always want to go, but supporting our footsteps along the way. The word inclusive speaks of Christ's expansive, welcoming ministry in which all were invited to the table, all, and called beloved. And the word creative is the hallmark of our parent, God, who calls each of us to be co-creators in making the kingdom come, making their dream a reality. Creative, inclusive, progressive. That's our image of the Trinity. That's the one that we are called to live into, our way of reflecting to the world the God who is for us, alongside us, and within us, this day and always. May it be so.